0: It seems that we store up junk in the garages of our heart and mind. It's like we're holding on to anger, holding on to souvenirs so that we can recollect and remember all the things that made us angry. But you know what makes angry so incredibly dangerous is that often it flares up suddenly. uh, It flares up very powerfully. And at times, it sometimes flares up irrationally. But here's one thing it always does. It always causes damage. Last week, I shared with you how to recognize sinless, say sinless, sinless anger. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church of believers not unlike ourselves, And here's what he wrote. He said, be angry. He said, be angry, believers, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Now, in the perfect model of Jesus Christ, we found that it is possible to use anger in a positive way. It is possible to be angry without sinning. However, righteous anger is never focused on ourselves. But if we're honest with one another, our anger, our anger is focused on ourselves. Our anger almost always stems from some form of selfishness. Aristotle said it well. He said, the man who is angry for on the right grounds against the right persons, in the right manner, at the right moment, for the right length of time, deserves great praise. And we acknowledge that there was only one that truly summed up that statement, and his name is Jesus Christ. So there is such a thing as righteous or sinless anger, but we must look in our hearts deeply, before we claim to have it ourselves. Today, Paul shares with us another form of anger, another face of anger, if you will. And he tells us that we need to renounce sinful, say sinful, sinful anger. And in Ephesians 4, again, writing to believers like you and I, in verse 31, he wrote, let all bitterness, (laughs) wrath, anger, clamor which is another word for a temper tantrum and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you you see friend when it comes to anger we think that we're always right we think we're always right. We think that our anger is justified. We think that our anger is acceptable. We think sometimes that our anger is even required. Right, Mariah? <laughs> we think that our anger is righteous, like Jesus's. But most of the time, in all reality, our anger is nothing more than regular old garden variety. Sinful anger. And Paul says it reveals itself in several different ways. It reveals itself as bitterness. What is bitterness? Just holding on to a grudge. How many of you have held on to a grudge in your life? Amen. He says it also reveals itself as wet wrath. That is rage that is flown off the handle. Now I won't ask you about that one. Amen. It also reveals itself as clamor or temper tantrums. It reveals itself as evil speaking, which is nothing more than talking with a tongue that's been dipped in poison. We all have areas of our life where our emotions seem to take over and cause our anger to flare. So what in heaven's name are we to do about those moments when we find our anger flaring up? Well, the Bible gives some really good, positive prescriptions and ways to handle our anger. The first way that I want to talk to you about today is don't nurse your anger. Don't nurse your anger. Remember that anger most always is a choice. You have a choice whether to be angry or not. The moment that the escape hatch opens... You have a choice to either escape anger or to be ensnared by anger. In that one defining moment, we can choose to either put it away, like Paul said we should do in verse 31, or we can build a little nest and put it in there and wait for that nasty little critter to hatch. Amen? you got a choice. The Bible says... Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? That means that we need to clear all of our accounts before the day is over. And when you start a new day, you start with clean books. You make a fresh new start. We have to learn to enforce a 12-hour limit on our feelings of resentment. Enforce a one day limit on your resentment and then you got to wipe them clean You got to wipe them just as clean as god wiped your sins clean now I would love to tell you that that's easy But I think you'd agree with me. It's not easy It's not easy to not bring yesterday's anger into today's joy. It's difficult to do that It's not easy In fact, let me tell you a little story. Several years ago, uh, I led a divorce care ministry. And divorce care basically is a ministry that helps men and women to deal with the tragedy of divorce. Now, I remember this one woman who was constantly spouting off about her rage and about her bitterness toward the husband who had abandoned her for another woman. And I remember asking this woman, I said, What is keeping you from moving on in your life? What is it that is not letting you let go of your anger? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, it's the only story I have. That's all she could see was how she had done wrong. So sometimes we need to write the end to a chapter. Sometimes we need to write the end to a story, even if the ending is unhappy. We need to write the end and begin a fresh new chapter. Nurturing your anger, friend, is no way to live. Do not nurse your anger. But we also will learn now that we don't need to rehearse our anger. We all know people who love to tell us about their anger, just like that guy on the video. Had a whole garage full of mementos, full of souvenirs that he kept when he got angry. And they love to tell us about the anger in deep detail. They are what we call anger artists. And they paint broad strokes with their paintbrush. And what is their paint? words of bitterness they can't see how their anger has consumed them and they can't see how ugly anger truly is now according to one expert on anger the notion that some other person makes you angry is a myth can't nobody make you angry you have the choice to be angry It cannot be done. Somebody else cannot make you angry. If you become angry, it's because the anger's already in there. You've just allowed that person to pull it out. But no one can make you angry. The primary way that, that anger comes about, the anger that flies off the handle comes about, is in the rehearsing of it. Talking over and over again. Have you ever done this? I've done this before. I get mad at somebody for something they said to me, and for a, a whole day, I'll think I'll say, you know, the next time I see them, I'm gonna tell them so-and-so. And then after I tell them so-and-so, I'm gonna tell them so-and-so. And then I'm gonna do so-and-so, and I'm gonna and that'll show them. What is that? That's rehearsing going over and over and over what somebody said, looking and hearing those hidden meanings in the words they use. We keep building and fueling the fire until eventually a raging inferno occurs and our anger is out of control. Rehearsing your anger, friend, is a dangerous, dangerous thing. But not only do we rehearse our anger, but we also need not converse about our anger. This mouth you got is a very deadly weapon. Not the mouth itself, but what comes out of it is a very deadly weapon. Don't use your words to encourage anger. Ephesians 4.29, again, Paul is writing to believers like me and you, and it's, um, it's miraculous that he has to tell believers this, but he does. He says, let no corrupt word Proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. What does he mean, no corrupt word? Does he mean I need not be cussing? Well, certainly that, but you need to know what that word corrupt means. That word corrupt in this context means damaging. Don't speak damaging words. Don't let damaging words come out of your mouth. But think about it. How much time do you spend damaging your boss? How much time have you spent damaging your parents, damaging your children, perhaps damaging your neighbors or damaging your coworkers? Many people even damage their spouse with the words that they use. Damaging. If you're listening, friends, say amen. Words are much too powerful, much too powerful to be used carelessly. You must guard every word you speak. Use your words to bless people. Rather than running people down, focus on imparting the grace of God to them and building them up. You don't want to use your words to damage people. Speak words that point people to Jesus. And if they don't point people to Jesus, then don't say them. Be careful of your words. They are much too powerful to be used carelessly. Listen to what Proverbs 22 says in verse 25. The Bible says, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go. Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Can I tell you, and young people especially, can I tell you that who you hang out with affects the way you talk? I'll never forget when I was working at Transtar. And I want you to get this picture of the clients I had. And this is nothing against the the mechanics of the world. Thank God for them. But these were men who uh, were the rough sort. They all had a, a rag out of their back pocket. And I would call them wanting their parts order so that I could make money. Well, in order to relate to them and make friends with them and uh, make sales with them, well, I wanted to talk like they talked. Well, I want to tell you they talked filthy. But it didn't take me long to figure out that I had to be a friend with them in order to get the sales. And so guess who else started talking filthy? Your friends will affect the way you talk. If you hang out with smart aleck, sarcastic people, I want you to know that sooner or later, that spirit is going to seep right into you. If you hang out with people who repeatedly use profanity, mark my words, you will eventually use those words too. Be careful who you hang out with. And whatever you do, don't converse about your anger. But also, fourthly, I want to tell you that you don't need to disperse your anger. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, the Bible says, the discretion or the caution of a man makes him slow to anger. And it is to his glory to overlook a transgression. Sinful anger is not about making things better sinful anger is not about correction it's not about helping somebody it's not about building somebody up sinful anger is all about a temper tantrum now we identify temper tantrums with little children and many of you have probably seen those in your lifetime if a child doesn't get his way what does he do he may roll around on the floor He may scream out loud. He may pound his fist. He may kick. He may scream. He may cop an attitude. He expresses every ounce of anger and frustration within him. Why? Because he has not yet learned self-control. Now, most of us, And I say most of us reach an age where we don't do that no more. But how many times have you seen an adult temper tantrum? Amen? Oh, it may not be the rolling around on the floor screaming, yelling, and hollering. But it does involve cursing, yelling, screaming, getting in somebody's face. All because you didn't get your way. That's called dispersing your anger. Now, on a few occasions, I have found that it's best to go to the Lord in prayer rather than disperse your anger. Let me tell you about one such example. For about ten years straight, five days a week, I went to the same stop sign on my way to work, either going to work in the morning or going back from lunch. On this one occasion, and I'll say it was only once, but I probably did it all the time, I just kind of rolled right through that stop sign. Well, as I rolled through that stop sign and took my right-hand turn, much to my chagrin was State Trooper Simpson. Anybody know him? Thank you. State Trooper Simpson is kind of a no-nonsense guy. And he was parked on the side of the road. He didn't turn his lights on. He didn't chase me. He got out of his car and stood in front of my car. And I rolled down the window and said, yes, sir. As if to say, what do you want with me? And he commenced to blowing me out for rolling through that stop sign. I'm talking about he let me have it. Don't you know what S-T-O-P means? He was dispersing his anger all over me. And guess what? I come that close to dispersing it right back. He didn't give me a ticket, but he dispersed his anger all over me. But rather than disperse it back, I took it, I bit my lip, and I drove three driveways up, and I pulled into that driveway. And there, I prayed for State Trooper Simpson. This was a a time before I understood really what law enforcement officers go through. That was before I understood that that officers of the law were under constant stress. But I was so mad that I prayed for him. And you know what happened? I was able to disperse my anger and I didn't get a ticket. When you must deal with anger, don't nurse it. Don't rehearse it, don't converse about it, don't disperse it. Instead, reverse it. Reverse it. What is anger in reverse? Well, have you ever broken something or said something or done something and you wish you could reverse the damage it caused? (laughs) I've been there. Well, we know that time is not reversible. But the Bible does tell us a way to reverse anger. We can reverse anger. How do you do that? Well, if somebody's blowing you out because you rolled through a stop sign, go pray for them. If somebody makes you angry, offer love in return. If someone threatens you with harm, feel compassion for what might have made him or her feel that way. Instead of retaliating, offer forgiveness. Instead of giving what you get, give what you don't get. Give respect, appreciation, and forgiveness. You see, friend, Paul wrote to another church. And he was all the time writing to churches about the way they talk. He wrote to one church and he said, if your enemy hungers, feed him, reverse it. If your enemy is thirsty, reverse it, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Now, does that mean that Paul wanted somebody's head to blow up? No. But what he was saying was if you will offer the reverse of what you feel, offer the reverse of what you got, offer the reverse of what's been done to you, things will be different. Now, is that an easy thing to do? No, it's nearly impossible aside of the power of God. What it does take is a wealth of wisdom. It takes a wealth of maturity, and the biggest thing is, is it takes self-control. You have a choice whether you're going to get angry or not. Offer the reverse, and the results will be very much worth it. Now, David Jeremiah shares a story that illustrates this so well. And here's what he says. He says he was turning into a fast food restaurant. And he wasn't paying much attention when he unintentionally cut this lady off going through the drive-thru lane. Now, you start messing with somebody's food, you're always going to have a problem. Amen? But this lady was furious. She was furious. She laid on her horn. She rolled down her window and screamed obscenities that he had never heard before. Began to give him all kinds of sign language that he really didn't understand. He said it was like a full-fledged, full-media presentation. She was mad. She was mad. Then minutes later, she hadn't gotten enough, so she gave him a second dose. Oh, she was mad. But instead of responding with the same, David said he asked the cashier for her total bill of the car behind him. And the cashier said, oh, is that one of your relatives? And he said, no. But I'd like to pay for her lunch just the same. He said he couldn't help but to kind of wait after he went through to kind of see the woman's response. He said she was in total, absolute shock. She had just attacked a total stranger with her claws pointed forward, and he bought her lunch. It was a full-scale reversal. Immediately diffused the entire situation. Instead of responding with worldly wrath, let us respond with godly loving kindness and forgiveness whether they ask for it or not it's this thing that God calls grace say grace it's what God calls grace and grace is not natural grace is supernatural let me tell you what I mean One day, many, many years ago, there was a man who was beaten and tortured. That man was spat upon and endured every insult imaginable. And then he was nailed to a cross. Hanging there in agony and pain, with blood flowing from nearly every part of his body, he could have yelled out curses to those people who were killing him. In fact, he could have called upon thousands upon thousands of angels to come out of heaven and annihilate every executioner. He could have done that. But Jesus resisted evil. And instead, he took it. He took it all. He took it all and instead offered a prayer of forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When Jesus chose that reaction, the greatest of all miracles occurred. Sin wasn't ignored. Sin was healed. And eventually death was destroyed. All because of the choice that Jesus made. Now... The Bible is clear that you and I are to live out that same pattern. Good for evil. Blessings for curses. Compassion for hostility. And the day you do this, miracles begin. Friends, this is the message of our GROW Outreach Ministry. Using our time, using our words, using our compassion, using our understanding of the grace of God to see miracles happen right here in our own community. Today during our decision time, I want you to think about something for a moment. I want you to think about what it would be like to fall into the hands of a righteously angry God. Think about what it would feel like what it would mean to those that don't know Jesus and have no hope of heaven of falling into the hands of a righteously angry God. But not only for those that don't know him, but also for those of us that do know him. Let me ask you this question. Would Jesus be righteously angry if we fail to reach out to people that don't know Him? Would He have a leg to stand on with His anger? Would he be, could He be righteously angry with us if we don't do it? I mean, could Jesus be righteously angry if we ignored His command to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything we've learned? He gave a command. He said, I'm instructing you to do this. If we say, hey, you don't know what you're talking about, we're going to do our own thing. Does God have a leg to stand on? Could he be angry with us? I'm telling you, in the same way that Jesus was infuriated with the Jews for the way they were treating the Gentiles in the temple that day, remember last week? I believe that he will be righteously angry with us if we refuse to heed the command that he gave us to go and share the good news that people can be saved from their sins through Jesus. I mean, we're the ones that call him Lord and Master. Is he or is he not? Now, as a church family... We have chosen to use the grow model in order to reach beyond the walls of this building and reach people in our community. If the Lord leads you during this decision time to give one hour, how much time? One hour a month. Nine hours a year. Because we only do it during daylight savings time. Nine hours a year to reach beyond the walls of this church for the glory of God. Then I want you to come forward. This commitment card was in your bulletin. I want you to come forward and take this filled out commitment card and place it as an offering to Jesus. If you didn't have a card, there are some up here. I've got a pen. I had a pen. See, outreach is not just an individual effort. It's not just up to to Kathy as our evangelism director to do all the outreach for all of us. It's not up to just Brother Bill to go out and reach beyond the walls of this church. It's not just up to a few deacons to do the work of the church. This is a family effort. And outreach will not occur successfully unless we do it as a family. So my question to you as we close is this. Would Jesus be righteously angry with me if I refused to be obedient to his command? Father God.